0: Welcome to Rooted and Reaching, a podcast from the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of Columbia in Columbia, Maryland, where we celebrate the beauty of our diversity. In our conversations here, we share stories of our journeys and explore ideas that challenge us in order to nurture the interdependent web of which we are all a part. We are rooted in faith. Reaching for community. In this episode, I'll be talking with beloved former Assistant Minister, Reverend Anthony Jenkins. Anthony left UCC in the fall of 2019 to move to Texas with his family and become a military chaplain. Give a listen to hear about his experience of this February snowstorm fiasco in Texas and his thoughts on Texan culture and political life. Hello, Anthony. I'm like really, really excited to talk to you. Me <laughs> hey also. Me too. I
1: heard say that
0: people <laughs> <laughs> love you so much,
1: and I've done my own discerning, right? Like it's uh It was a long period of time for me. It was like seven years
0: at UCC, or yeah.
1: So it was, and they were like really intense, formative. You know, it was. Wow. So there are lots of definitely very missable people from there also. Yeah. For sure. For what, sure.
0: What was it? What was last week like in Texas? <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh man! You know, they
0: don't have to ask about that right away.
1: So I guess it's like any area that is not, you have your natural disaster or your thing that happens for you normally that you're, that you're ready for. So they're like ready for that South Texas bone dry heat they're ready for an occasional tornado like they're ready for stuff like that they're just not prepared for snow and ice and it was it was a little bit of snow yeah you know what i'm saying like from an east coast perspective it was a little bit it was like a nice hallmark you know commercial like a cute snow but to them it was like oh and then they just i didn't know anything about their whole the power grid is the only state in the union is not Connected to anybody else for power and it's decentralized and all that kind of stuff. So once that started happening and they were like, well, there's, we don't pay plants to be ready for sub freezing temperatures. Now we notice we don't have enough supply, but there's a lot of demand. So we just got to cut some stuff off so that we don't have the whole state out for months. So it makes sense what the people did based on what they could do with a system, which is probably not the best, but they're just not, they're not built for winter weather and there's a very texas like frontiersy independent we don't need anybody for anything and stay out of our business and stay off my lawn you know (laughs) that's that's texas really
0: so how long were you out were you personally out of power (laughs) roughly three
1: days power so electricity it was doing this weird what they called rolling blackouts, right? Was like two or three minutes of burst of electricity, long enough for you to get up and be like, oh, electricity. And then and it would be down for two hours. And then probably really early Monday I morning, mean, super early, one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, it started just to flitter out. And then it was just out for probably three days, give or take. We, stayed, we never lost water, thankfully. We didn't have an issue with pipes bursting or the house flooding, so that was cool. We have a gas stove, so we could light it, cook a few things here and there, but it's just like, I would tell you 45 degrees, 50 degrees. Outside the house is my favorite temperature, like right around 50, but in the house, it's just like, <gasps> so you can, we're in like three, four layers of clothes, you know, right. you don't really feel like expanding the energy to get up and do stuff. The kitchen seems far from the couch in the living room and the upstairs seems far, it's like a commitment we lit candles.
0: We're warm-blooded, right? Like
1: Yeah. (laughs) And these, you know, I ate a lot of stuff that took no effort. So like peanut butter and crackers. And we made like a lot of really basic zombie apocalypse meals, you know, like stuff that you just pull out of the pantry and then hunker back down. But these are first world problems, right? I mean, like, you know, I've been sort of having conversations with people about how much in a lot of countries this is baseline like we're all up in arms like we got to wait in line for a little bit to go to the grocery store like well in russia that's what it is you know there are many parts of africa like regularly if you could get a couple of miles to the grocery store you would wait in line and maybe they would have bread and maybe the bread that they had would not have soured already you know in a lot of countries you don't have water you got to walk a couple of miles to get dirty water that to bathe in or drink and or drink you know shelter or something you just take for granted you're just like oh, i'm so outraged that i have to sit under this roof and freeze but i have a roof to sit under and freeze whereas i'm not on the freeway overpass trying to figure it out so it definitely reorients you ideally into a gratitude space for all of the complaining and moaning and whining and i surely did my share we did our share of that we had enough moments also of like look we're we're really quite blessed and we know that because this is a problem <laughs> Oh, we lost electricity. We've come to rely on regular electricity. Um, so there are a lot of people really in the military who are from countries where that's just what it is normally. So I think we don't always appreciate the a lot of the advantages we have over here. So it was a nice smack in the face.
0: I always worry that people aren't experienced the smack in the right way, like in the way you're describing where they end up in a place of gratitude, right? Yeah, like that it's, should be the lesson, or that should be the one of the takeaways, or the major one. But I sometimes worry that that's not the spiritual experience that everybody's having.
1: You know, right now everything gets political so fast. Like it, it, it becomes it becomes a not human. Like, well, if the blankety blank left head, or if the blankety blank right had done this, or this policy hadn't have been, you know, it's just like well. People are cold and freezing and dying and lots of stuff is happening. So um, let's just worry about the human beings, you know, and then let's try to be grateful for whatever, whatever we have that we can even go help people. Not everybody experiences a smack in the same way. That that is absolutely true. If you are a person who is spiritual or highly spiritual, I think then you tend to move through the events in your life and experience them through that prism. If you aren't, then you don't, you move through them differently. Gratitude is such a basic thing between faith traditions or philosophies or whatever, whatever you think about the sacred or the holy, it's just unfortunate when people immediately go to the divisive place or use it as an excuse to um, stir up some more fire about the thing they already believe about the people they perceive to be on the other side of the line. Yep. So it is is interesting to be in a super duper red state. And I have not, I have not lived, certainly have spent time, I have not lived in a highly um, conservative uh very red just area before so it is interesting to watch the same news you would see the same sort of events come through that filter in a culture that is very different and kind of get a, a feel for how they experience the the same events
0: yeah i live in a tiny red bubble in maryland but mm-hmm. i also grew up in a tiny red bubble so this mm-hmm. is but where did you grow up i grew up in vermont So the whitest state in the country.
1: Right, right.
0: Super small town of like 500 people. Grew up Baptist in Vermont, which is actually not that typical, at least for like an old millennial. Yeah. Like all of my friends had hippie parents and they had like outdoor bathrooms, like like a whole situation. Mm -hmm. That wasn't my experience. But I also early on was like, I'm going to get out of (laughs) here. like. (laughs) Yeah. You no, know, by middle school, like I was definitely very firmly like, and what city will I leave and go to when yeah. I can? Yeah. You
1: know? So it was like a red bubble inside a blue.
0: Yeah. Yes. Like everything around it was blue, but yeah. my little my little town and my little town right now, my little town right now, which is Hailthorpe, um, tons of Trump signs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's out there, right? I left
1: Fort Sam, which is my main. Uh, duty station. I left on a Sunday once uh, a couple of months ago, came into, went onto the main Interstate 35 and there was a two mile line of, they call them Trump trains, right? So it was all these trucks with uh, don't tread on me, big Trump signs, American flags, Confederate flag, I mean like two, three miles deep honking. And I was between two cars and I'm behind this car that has this Black Lives Matter sign and some other stuff that's doing this weird counter protesting thing. So they're barking back and forth at each other. And I'm just trying to get home. And I'm thinking, if they do run me off the road, I'm curious about the cognitive dissonance on this for, for the person who pulls me out. Because people of of that ilk generally are like, oh, military, yes. Right. But he's Black. So... yeah. What wins? Do I still want to hurt them or do I want, like, it it would be interesting to see. My
0: nationalistic tendencies strong enough here.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, love the military in theory, right? But would assume lots of other stuff about me based on my complexion. So it would be interesting.
0: Okay. Since we're talking about Texas, I'm going to leave some questions from people about Texas. Yes. Can you tell us, this is a question from Cindy Alvey. A favorite thing about living in Texas? I'm sure you can pick it up. This is a, a weird time to
1: ask you this question,
0: right? <laughs> um, We've been talking about all this stuff that's complicated about it.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, there's a nice, easy swag to the Texan thing. Like, it's a nice, um, I'm definitely not trying to start a fight with you. I really am hospitable. I really am looking out for you. I'm really not afraid of you, you know, for the most part. There is a very charming thing about the kind of Texas culture that is cool. No state income tax is cool for sure. I mean, on some level, everybody wants freedom, right? But, but everybody defines it differently. And so people butt heads about what, what is that, what does freedom mean? If I say safety or security, everybody wants that. What does it mean? You know, what does it entail? So depending on what side of the aisle you're on or where you are philosophically or theologically, that means very different things. What is interesting, um, really about South Texas. Also, that was interesting to watch during the election was there's a large Latinx population, but you could not profile how people would have voted based on that demographic. You know, you had lots of people who voted for Trump, who you might've looked at and said, well, you're not doing that based on maybe what the administration said about this aspect of your people or about this immigration policy or this thing. But depending on what was valu- what is most valuable to them culturally, you know, that's the way they went. If faith is the biggest thing for you, and this is not true of every Catholic, certainly, but if you are the kind of Catholic for whom abortion or anything like that is a big thing, and your people tell you, hey, look, this candidate is for your Catholic values, is, you know, is against that abortion, and this other one isn't, right. um, you will vote that way because faith is at the foremost thing, even if the person you're voting for has said maybe hateful or harmful things about people who look like you.
0: Right. Single issue voting is really Mm -hmm. to me. I understand it. Like I have family members that are very much pro-life and very much just vote for whoever lines up with that.
1: Mm -hmm. So the pro-life thing is interesting. I get into this conversation with military people sometimes about like, all right, so I get it. I have no judgment of you about that. How do you feel about pro-life in the context of what we do for a living? They're like, well, most of my people are medical. So they're like, well, you know, I'm medical. So we don't realize like, yeah, but but we're medical because we're we're repairing people who are going into places to kill people and break stuff, right? Ideally, it is for the highest good, but at the end of the day, that's what we're doing. So we're taking life in some way, shape, or form every day in the uniform for the for the business of the state, whatever. Like, how do you feel about that life? How do you feel about you know these different lives and places that are impacted by that? Like. What what is it that you would want to do with children who are born? You know, like we we would go down this interesting sort of tunnel about, and usually what what it ends up being is this person is pro birth, but not necessarily pro life. Right. Like, right. you don't really want to get into the life that happens after the birth, but you are pro in your mind not killing or not whatever. I'm like, look, I just need you to know we we kill right daily, and not always justified, and it's not we don't always get it right. So how do you feel about that? We get right. into some very interesting territory now.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think it's good to just be having those conversations, right? Like, mm-hmm. not to just like point the finger, right? It's not about pointing a finger. It's just about yeah. that exploration of like, what is the meaning of this, or yeah, like, where does this belief originate? Like, how does it connect to other beliefs?
1: And if you drill down for anybody on whatever the surface belief or ethic is, if you really drill down on it, you will get to something far more basic, far more human, yep. far more emotional. Yeah. Far more universal, and you may not agree, really, at the end of the day, but you'll you'll better understand why they went that way. And it's usually not because, like, I hate you, or I really want to see you eradicated from, the, or I really want. To. It's usually like I'm afraid.
0: I feel like fear is the cause of so much mm-hmm. or disconnection from self.
1: Definitely. So whereas you would look at somebody and say, well, based on your skin color or based on your whatever, I think you would vote this way. It was very illuminating about, like, well, not necessarily, and you know. This was a big, for me, showed me a lot about um, urban versus rural. You know, it was a big like how much what kind of area you live in shapes what your priorities are mm-hmm. and your lifestyle and what is important to you. You know, you could see it on the map. I mean, clear as a bell. You know, here's who voted this way. These were your large metropolitan centers, your suburban places and your rural places were, you know, and if you looked at the land. You would have thought it went the other way. You would have thought that the, the, the election outcome was completely different in the other way if you looked at people and where they are concentrated. You know, those pockets of Philadelphia or Atlanta, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, like, took it. Yeah. But your priorities are different in a city. Your worldview is different.
0: Absolutely. It's a di- completely different way of living. All right. Something unexpected and joyful that you've discovered in Texas.
1: Ooh, 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 ooh. Unex- so, yeah. unexpected. I, I probably would have to divide these up. So um, I would have told you, mild winters was joyful. Again, before last week, I would have said, "You never get any snow," but that's not true. People, particularly in San Antonio, are very—they're very grateful for your military service, and they stop you a lot, and they look you in the eye and hold your hands. And you can feel how grateful they are for how you are, for how they perceive that you're defending them, keeping them safe. And it's very different from any place that I've lived. And I know these are people who I probably would disagree with diametrically and opposite in terms of politics and stuff like that. But their level of genuine gratitude is, um, it's heartwarming. It's really sweet. And it's not something in the D- in a DC area. I remember being more like, oh yeah, you're in the military. Of course, other people in the military, it's not that big a deal, whatever. But there is a sense, um, Probably in the state of Texas in general, but certainly in San Antonio, there's a real deep level of authentic gratitude that comes from people and they really go out of their way to thank you for it. And that never gets old. That is really beautiful. And I'm not like an infantry person. Like I'm not a person who's doing the standard military thing, but I definitely am in the military. And so I appreciate that sentiment a lot. That has been definitely joyful. Unexpected. I think I looked at the demographics before. So I knew, all right, San Antonio is about 8% African-American, not including military population. But I really didn't, I didn't appreciate what that feels like, what that looks and feels like, because I've spent so much time in the DMV. I spent so much time in Baltimore and DC and cities where there are lots of African-Americans. You just get used to, we're in the mix at least a 20-30% clip. A city like Baltimore or D.C., you know, it's 55, 60, 65. Detroit, you know, stuff like that. So, really, other than my military thing, it's in, in Texas, you really don't see a lot of Black people. Uh-huh. So, when you do, you're like, hey! Hey, man! <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Are you? Yes! Are you? Oh, yes! Oh, man, so good to see you. You know, you, you like, even if you if you don't speak to each other, you, you share this glance of, oh, thank God. You know, I'm starting to wonder like, if like, anybody else was within a 25-mile radius. Right. Um, so I, I, I think I knew that that was true. But the experience of it has been interesting. And I'm not necessarily a person who needs a whole bunch of people who look like me to be around for me to, be, for me to feel comfortable. But I noticed. And it definitely feels different. We experienced some of this, really, to be honest, when we lived in Silver Spring for the last few years. It was our neighborhood was majority Latinx again. So we were both... The minority on our block she's white and i'm black both of us are the minority okay we don't speak fluent spanish we are the minority this so i'll tell you when i got this assignment everybody who i reached out to in my life was like oh man you on to san antonio oh the food is amazing this is how they said it it's amazing not like it's good but it's amazing it's gonna blow your mind you know and i, got, I was like i not so much right like everything is cool Right. It's cool. Everything meets the standard. Like it is, it's acceptable. <laughs> what I what I can now appreciate about the D.C. area is not just the diversity of food, like Afghan, Ethiopian, whatever, anything you want, Vietnamese, right? But there are so many people in the D.C. area who are not far removed from the country that you can't fake the funk on it. You have to. It has to be on a level because people from the area will know the difference. So the Afghan food in D.C. is good enough. For people who are recently removed from Afghanistan, and it's all kinds of whatever you want here. I think there was another question about this. So, so there's an Indian place that's pretty cool that I go to. That's probably the only place that we really get food from regularly. There's a there is a Tex Mex spot it's around the corner that does decent nachos and burritos, but not like you thinking you're really close to Mexico. You're about to get the life changing Tex Mex, and not really. Everybody says Laredo, which is further south by an hour or two. That's closer to the border. You're in business. So everything here from a food place it is acceptable, but not anything I'd be like I I can't I need you to come to San Antonio so I can take you to place X.
0: I wish you had one of those.
1: <laughs> no,
0: right? like no. I mean more than one would be great, but everybody needs one.
1: And it's I mean it's COVID right, and right. we're we're introverts, so it's not like we're in a convertible, you know, trying to you know hanging out two three nights a week, trying to find, and we have two kids under three. I mean we're not like. Ripping and running, trying to find the next great place. Or but there has not been a meal I've had here that I'm like, oh. That
0: lit your wor- world on fire? <laughs>
1: no. The Indian place is cool. But the thing that I get is hard to mess up. Like, shrimp biryani is hard to mess up. So it's hard for me to assess your your culinary genius based on how well <laughs> you do shrimp biryani. <laughs> I make the same dinner five nights a week. Oh, Sometimes are- six. It, it is, um, so five eggs that I scramble over a bed of usually either mixed greens and spinach, salmon, baby bella, mushrooms, garlic, red onions, diced, black olives, whole bunch of spices like celery salt, red pepper, black pepper, and then some jasmine rice and a ginger bear usually. And I, I do that five to six nights a week. And the other night is Indian.
0: Hope you enjoyed this taste of Reverend Anthony's life in Texas. Tune in next week to hear about how Anthony's wife and two kiddos are doing, how Anthony found and developed his spiritual voice at UCC and more about his work life.